Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Israel continues to pound Hamas terrorist targets as pro-Palestinian protests continue here in the U.S. In the last few days, the protesters tried to interrupt Christmas celebrations and travelers coming in and out of JFK and Los Angeles International Airport. And joining us now to discuss all of this and so much more is someone who just came back from Israel in the last few days. He is the current acting consul general, also the senior diplomat for Israel in New York, Aviv Ezra. Uh, Mr. Consul General, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me read out your show. Really appreciate your time and uh, the effort that you're doing in making sure that uh, your uh, listeners will be educated about the recent developments back at home. Well, it is so important, and Israel is such an important ally of America, such an important democracy in the world, and uh, we'll make sure the world never forgets and, and keep educating people as to what's happening and also the importance of the fight. Um, you just came back uh, from Israel. Can you talk about what you saw? Because you were just there firsthand. I know, obviously, you're Israeli, but when you came back, what surprised you? What did you learn? Yeah, I just came back a couple of days ago after spending a few days back at home with my family who is in Israel. And I, I found, a, a, I think, a very resilient Israeli people, a very united Israeli people, a very committed Israeli people. I think the, the message that we have seen uh, is that what we saw on October 6th with different kind of back and forth on judicial reform and different kind of other arguments that we had. This was all put in the back. And now October 7 mode, we all understand that we have to fight for our lives, fight for our values, fight for what we stand for, and making sure that our civilians are not never again be exposed to a situation where, unfortunately, uh, similar to the atrocities that happened on October 7th. Uh, remember what happened then when Hamas murdered 1,200 and wounded 6,936 uh, infants, 30 Americans that were murdered, and 240 that were taken hostage. At this point, we have 129 that are still in captivity in the dungeons of uh, the vicious terror organization Hamas. You know, you talked about the 129 hostages. Do we have any word uh, as to how they're doing? And by the way, has the Red Cross gotten access to them? I mean, have others seen them so we know that they're still alive and what condition they're in? Look, that is uh, the most important question here. At this point, we have not received any reach out, any uh, news coming from the Red Cross in regards to uh, our 129 hostages. We we know that Hamas is not allowing the Red Cross uh, to see them. We demand the Red Cross that continue the effort to make sure that we have either a sign of life or sending uh, medications and making sure they are not uh, starved to death. We know from interviews with hostages that have been released that they have been tortured there both physically, mentally, uh, deprived of, uh, of different kind of basics, 
And uh, when when we are called to continuously support humanitarian aid, which we do, and we can talk about that into the innocent civilians, we demand that our uh, innocent civilians that were abducted on October 7th receive the same treatment in the shape of uh, food, water, sign of life, and of course, medication. We have uh, Holocaust survivors that were kidnapped uh, in the in their 70s, late 70s, early 80s. These are very old uh, grandparents and grandmothers that uh, were there, abducted originally, and if they will not receive their medicine and their medication, they will die. Do we know? Are there still there are still children too? Right? There are still children there, including 10 month old including two years old. And, uh, you know, sometimes this is just mind-boggling. It just really boggles the mind. Which kind of, of, of human beings takes a prisoner of war, which is 10 months old, and then starts to negotiate of his release in, in, in release of, of terrorists? It's just you cannot make these things up. You know, you can. And, and I think about just as you're talking about what a contrast, because Israel, when it's been going in to root out Hamas, they're sending leaflets. Uh, they have an app saying civilians go here. And yet look at the contrast to what you sadly had to endure your country on October 7th. What a contrast. You know, this, this is exactly what differentiates uh, a, a free democracy in the middle of this, uh, I would say, uh, uh, very challenging region, as opposed to our uh, our adversaries, our enemies that are are totally uh, on a different, uh, I would say, ball game. I mean, when when it comes to Israel, it's really in, in when you try to have a comparable look, you look at other militaries, Western militaries that have fought uh, urban warfare in Iraq or in Syria or anywhere around the place. You do not see militaries that give two weeks in advance notice, specific locations where we're coming, safe corridors, safe zones, humanitarian aid, and where on the other side you have Hamas, a designated foreign terrorist organization that is embedding itself among civilians, that is pushing civilians as a tool, their own civilians, they're pushing their own civilians back to a war zone. And and they actually, and we know that as for a fact that they, consider them martyrs, and they are willing to pay the price in, in having them uh, hurt, and then they are cynically using it against Israel. And this is where I call the international community, don't play their games. Once you're blaming Israel, that just encourages them to use, again, human shields as part of their practices. The ones to blame and the responsible are the Hamas terrorist organizations, the vicious Hamas terrorist organization. Do you wish to that end, uh, Consul General, that the UN was doing more? They seem to, you know, it's sort of back and forth. Uh, thank goodness in some of the recent votes, I know the U.S. said no, you know, we'll veto it or abstain. But where's the, you know, where's the vote saying, Hamas, uh, stop your deadly attacks? You know, I've, I've, to tell you the truth, I've lost expectations from this body called the UN. There's an immediate uh, a majority against Israel all the time. If it was not up to the United States of America supporting us at the Security Council, I think it's just mind-boggling to see the level of attacks going against Israel. They are not condemning attack. Look, look. They, if they would have condemned Hamas on October 8th and had demanded them to release the hostages, 
think of how many lives they could have saved. But no, they have waited for Israel to defend itself and then came attacking Israel and also calling for an immediate ceasefire. What does that mean? An immediate ceasefire is actually sending a lifeline to Hamas and actually condemning us all to another cycle of violence into the future because we know that Hamas is committed to continuously going after Israel in their own words again and again and again. So if we cannot extract their willingness, we have to extract their capability. And this is what we're doing. And we are, by the way, according to international law, we are allowed to do that in self-defense. Are you surprised at, you know, some of the players in the U.N. and elsewhere uh, critical of Israel? And again, as we're talking about silent um, on Hamas and then, you know, some of these protests that we see across the country, across the world. It's shocking to hear some of the rhetoric. You know, we're, we're, on the one hand, not disappointed when we have certain voices at the U.N., including uh, certain Islamic countries and certain uh, Arab countries and certain uh, uh, other countries in the world. On the other hand, we have a strong support from the free world. We have a strong support from the United States of America, which we highly, highly appreciate. And it's a, by, by the way, it's a bipartisan support. Uh, you and I have... Uh, I've seen Speaker Johnson speak very strongly in support of Israel's right and duty for self-defense. But we've also seen the minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, and the Senate majority leader and Republican leaders on the Senate side. They all support Israel's right for self-defense. And, of course, the administration, we back Israel. And, and I think uh, also other forces in the world, including Germany, we've seen the Chancellor of Germany, the President of Germany, and we've seen Britain, the prime minister of Britain. So there's a strong support from the free world, understanding that Israel is just an outpost against radicalism and against barbarism. And we understand that Hamas is, by the way, representing voices. And we could talk about that. It's actually Iran, which is connected to that string called Hamas and many other proxies in the region. What needs to be done uh, to put Iran in check? Well, the first phase is understanding that this is not a conflict between Israel and Hamas, because when you zoom out for a second, you see the following uh, alarming picture. First of all, you see in the northern front another proxy called Hezbollah, which is attacking Israel. And then you see in the southern part another proxy called the Houthis, which are attacking Israel and attacking U.S. forces. And then you look at Syria and you look at Iraq and you see Iran-backed militias that are attacking U.S. Uh, armed personnel, including three, I think, uh, three uh, injured just uh, yesterday. And I wish them speedy recovery from here. And then when you zoom out, you understand that all of these strings are attached to Tehran. So what we need to what needs to be done is I think one of the mistakes that we had in our handling of Hamas is that we have kicked the can down the road. We hope that Things will be better down the future, and maybe there will be reconciliation and understanding. Well, we learned the hard way, October 7th, that that doesn't work. Appeasement with them doesn't work. And I think the same thing is true for Iran. If we kick the can down the road vis-a-vis Iran, and which is the, the sole major destabilizing, destabilizing uh, force in the region, proliferator of arms, financing and budgeting of all these proxies, proxies continuing to uh, plan their and progress their uh, nuclear program. 
if they will see that there is no consequences to all of these actions, it will come back to bite us. So what does that mean? That means two things. Diplomatic pressure and a, a, a pressure. First of all, diplomatic pressure vis-a-vis sanctions, vis-a-vis uh, making sure that their uh, decision makers cannot travel uh, easily, uh, vis-a-vis consequences of the economic, on the economic level. And the second, which is not less important, this is a counterintuitive argument, so bear with me here a little bit, is that the less you want to go to war, you have to show the other side that you are prepared to go to war if needed. The other side understands that if you are prepared, that they will stand down, especially with a a superpower like America that can wipe out Iran in a second. The minute you uh, show them that there are consequences, I think that they will stand down. This is a kind of a counterintuitive argument. Does the U.S. and the world community need to be, therefore, tougher uh, and show, listen, if you go after a U.S., uh, whether it's a Navy ship or uh, or a great U.S. ally like Israel, there will be repercussions? I, I, I would not, as a foreign diplomat, give advice to, uh, to the United States of how to run their show. But I would say that when it comes to Israel— when we feel that there are certain elements that need to be responded, they will be responded. I mean, look at what's happening vis-a-vis their proxies in Lebanon. They understand that there will, it will not be passed quietly. Well, and recently Israel also went after, I believe, what was someone in Syria, right? Uh, and Iran was not happy about that, but Israel is taking the fight wherever some of these Hamas leaders are and Hezbollah too. I don't want to respond to uh, uh, foreign uh, foreign media's publications, but I could I could tell you this: uh, we will make sure that anyone who goes after uh, our civilians and after Israel will pay their relevant price. Let's talk about sort of the war, obviously, uh, as it is continuing, because I know you've made some very powerful strides there in northern Gaza. Uh, Israel has the military heading down south. Um, We've seen reports where officials have said this is going to be months. Um, Do we still anticipate it's still a long time? And maybe talk about what's been accomplished so far and what has already, where they've talked about it publicly, of where they're going. Well, the military campaign had uh, two goals. The first one, of course, to release the hostages sooner rather than later. And the second is to eradicate Hamas, meaning that we want to make sure that they do not have the capabilities to go after us again. So we began it. uh, The first stage was vis-a-vis the northern part of Gaza. And I think at this point, uh, the IDF is saying pretty clearly that we, you know, there's there's never 100 percent control, but relatively a strong uh, control of, of the northern part of Gaza, even though there are fierce fighting with the terrorists until now. And, and the second phase will be, will be uh, directly into the southern part of Gaza, where we know that uh, the terrorists are hiding uh, deep uh, under uh, hospitals, under schools, under uh, mosques, etc. Now, there's two levels of, uh, of warfare here, and this is a very unique, uh, I would say, environment. There's the, uh, the one on the ground, and then there are... Uh, levels beneath the ground. And we know now that Hamas, for since we have extracted our entire 
forces in 2005, and uh, they have invested billions of dollars that they have received in building infrastructure of their military machine beneath the ground in tunnels, which were somewhere around 600 uh, miles of tunnels of shelters. Now, these shelters are not designated like Israel to protect innocent civilians. Actually, civilians are not allowed to go there, and therefore they suffer uh, casualties in, 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 in the thousands. What they did is they only, they only used for terrorists, for Hamas operatives, and specifically for uh, the Hamas leadership. So you can rest assured that Hania and Muhammad Dev are hiding deep, deep inside. I, I wouldn't say in a very courageous manner. And they're sending out their innocent civilians, and they're sending out their terrorists, and they are... Uh, it seems to us that they are making sure that they are hiding both behind uh, our uh, hostages and, uh, and other innocent civilians of their own. You know, you brought up also um, humanitarian aid, uh, Mr. Consul General. One of the things is interesting. Israel is sending it in. There have even been some reports, uh, no surprise, that Hamas is taking it um, and not giving it to some of the civilians. How tough is that? And also, what kind of efforts is Israel doing? Because it's important for people to know what other country in the world, something like that, sends in aid at the same time. It's a, it's a powerful testament, I think, to the Israeli people and their values. It's really mind-boggling to see the, the, the cynicism coming from Hamas. So on the one hand, they are complaining that there's a humanitarian crisis. And on the other hand, when we make all the efforts, it's really un unprecedented of making sure that these thousands of convoys of trucks, and until now we have sent about 5,500 trucks of humanitarian aid that entered the Gaza since the beginning of the war, including water, food, medicine, and, 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 and energy and gas, we know for a fact that two things are happening. First of all, we know that they're stealing uh, they, meaning the Hamas, are stealing uh, most of the majority of the humanitarian aid. And second, we know that there is a strong pushback now on behalf of the population there that are actually uh, pushing back against Hamas and saying, look, you have dragged us not only over the cliff, but now you are even uh, uh, stealing the food and the water that is supposed to be arriving to us. We continue to facilitate the transfer of this humanitarian aid to Gaza. And as I said, so far, more than 5,500 trucks with the critical aid that the, the end of Gaza Strip since the beginning of the war. What can uh, civilians in, uh, you know, in Gaza do? I mean, because like you said, they're taking their food. Uh, they put them right in the bullseye. You know, uh, they're using them as human shields. Um, are you disappointed that more Palestinians are not speaking out? I'm, I'm, look, I'm not disappointed by the innocent Palestinians because I know that if they will speak up, they will be either killed, tortured, or their family will pay a price. I'm extremely disappointed by the UN facilities and facilitators and agencies that see exactly what is happening, happening on the ground and are putting the pressure towards Israel. Whereas we not only allowed the aid to come in from Rafah, from the Egyptian side, but also imagine that open an a opportunity to, to bring uh, humanitarian aid through Israel. I mean, look, think about it. Just uh, 82 years ago, we were butchered by Palestinians, both Hamas and other Palestinians that came in, and now we're supporting them with humanitarian aid. You cannot make these things up.
Yeah, you can't. Uh, And then also, by the way, and you know this all too well, there's also uh, one of the things that the Prime Minister Netanyahu has said is that coming in wherever the next phase is after obviously eradicating Hamas is the new leadership has to be de-radicalized. That's very hard because, you know, there's a lot of these books out there that are in Gaza and elsewhere in schools where they're teaching these young kids to hate Israelis at an early age. That That's a long process. You're 100% right. And uh, the prime minister has uh, just written an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday, and he said, looking into the day after, that that, there are two elements that need to be strongly embedded in the the day after. First of all, demilitarization of the Gaza Strip in order to make sure that they would not come after us again. Because don't forget that there's no—not that that our enemies are across the Atlantic Ocean. They are, I would say, less than a mile— from our uh, kibbutzim, and, and they have demonstrated that they can come very fast to attack us. Therefore, in order for us to bring them back, we need to make sure that it's demilitarized. But the second point that you made is the de-radicalization. And this is the level of incitement that we've been seeing for so many years through the following uh, elements. One, through the education system. Two, through the uh, media. And three, through um, uh, the mosques and the religious uh, uh, factors. You know, if you dehumanize a, 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 a the neighbor, either if it's a Jew or Israeli, then later on these atrocities are acceptable. And one last thing I want to say is, a, is an image that I have uh, from one of the clips that uh, of October seven, when there was a it was a, there was a body of a naked uh, uh, festival goer. She was murdered. In Israel, and her naked body was brought in a pickup truck, pickup truck into the Gaza Strip. And what really shook me to the core is that you see uh, 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 hundreds of people gather around the pickup truck, and you see children spitting over her dead body. This just crystallizes the level of hatred that they, they have they have been uh, brought into. And kids are not born hateful; they are taught to be hateful. No, you're right. And I I know exactly what you're talking about. It was just so heartbreaking. That whole story of what happened to that woman was just... The other issue I also think about are women's groups. You talked about the UN, some of the UN women's groups. Where are they? They need to be speaking out. I mean, think about what horrible atrocities happened to that woman and so many others on October 7th. Yes, we, we talked about it when we had that campaign, Me Too, Unless You Are a Jew. I've seen these these women uh, organizations that will, will never stay silent when it comes to any other uh, uh, minority or any other uh, women that will be raped in that vicious manner that we've seen October 7th. But when it comes to Israeli women and when it comes to Jewish women, they cut the, the cat uh, caught their, their, their tongue, right? That's how you say it in English, right? Yes, the cat uh, gets their tongue, yep. Yeah, suddenly they got suddenly they were mute and it took them you know one of the one of the amazing things I spoke to many of my uh, uh, leaders of women uh, gender gender uh, uh, gender organization women organizations in Israel that have an ongoing steady relationship with these organizations they have helped them in Sudan and in Chad and around the world and October 7th they all disappeared mute no response I'm saying, me too, unless you are a Jew. That's the campaign. 
Yeah, that is heartbreaking. And, and as a woman, I'll tell you, uh, Mr. Consul General, it's it, it's just, it's really infuriating for me to see it. They need to be speaking up loudly and clearly. What's your message to the protesters, too, in America, the ones um, that are now, you know, blocking uh, the roads to JFK? We're trying to cancel Christmas. There's plans that they may do something on New Year's Eve to try to block revelers. Is it is it backfiring, do you think, where people are saying, wait a minute, what does this have to do with this? Well, I think that Americans, obviously, uh, in this country and in Israel, we cherish the right for free speech and demonstration 100 percent. However, when it becomes violent, when it goes after the basic services of, uh, I don't know, closing the Manhattan Bridge or closing the airports or closing Grand Central Station and hurting other people's rights for for freedom of movement, et cetera, I don't think Americans appreciate it. But I do want to tell you that when it comes to the content itself, what's really mind-boggling here is that you listen to what they're chanting for. They're not calling for supporting of the Palestinian people or supporting two-state solution. They're actually calling for the eradication of the state of Israel totally. They are calling for a one-state solution where Jews do not have a state of their own. And that's where the masks were torn off. We understand the direction of where they want to lead these uh, protests. And unfortunately for them, the people of Israel are united and resilient. And we have the ability today, as opposed to what we did not have in their 40s, we have the ability to defend ourselves by ourselves with our own independent country called the State of Israel. Yeah, and I think I think so many people are are fed up with so many of these different protesters. They seem some of them seem to be professional protesters too. It's like they're at different events. Um, before I let you go, what's your message about the resiliency, as you talked about, of the Israeli people in the middle of what is just a, an unbelievable moment and and just an unbelievably difficult moment in history for the state of Israel? Uh, but what is what's your message about the resiliency and the determination of the people in Israel? There's been these stories also of people all over the globe of, you know, of Israeli descent coming back to the country to join the fight. You know, uh, this event of uh, atrocities against the Jewish people is not a new event in history. (laughs) Unfortunately, these are cycles of uh, of, uh, events in history that we as Israeli, uh, we as Jews, are uh, aware of. And uh, what's really unique about this time round, as I mentioned, is that uh, not only that we have the ability to defend ourselves by ourselves, is that we are uh, determined, resilient to fight for our values, to fight for our country, to fight for our home, and to fight for our, uh, for our families. And I think what I've seen in Israel is that with the heavy price that we are paying, and we are paying a heavy price because we cherish life while they cherish death. We, uh, every every person that we lose is a is a whole world, and the entire country uh, uh, feels for the family, and 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 and, and really uh, the bereaved families are embraced by the, the state of Israel. But they are missing the point and miscalculating if they think that they can use that as a weakness. We will defend ourselves until the last uh, threat is uh, eradicated from the Gaza Strip. Well, it has been uh, unbelievably inspiring to see uh, the people um, of Israel and around the world 
uh, understanding that fight for freedom. And as I mentioned, people flying back, even Americans, uh, dual citizens saying, I'm coming back uh, to join the fight because they understand what's at stake. Um, The acting consul general from Israel to New York, also the senior diplomat, of course, from Israel to New York, Aviv Ezra. Thank you so much. Uh, Everybody be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. What a powerful, powerful podcast and what a powerful testament to uh, the people of Israel. Mr. Consul General, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless America. God bless the state of Israel. We will prevail. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.